Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Well, good morning, Ville Church. For wherever you are, I'm recording this earlier in the week, but I see it on a Sunday morning, so I wish you a good morning. And since I haven't been able to speak to the church or speak to you this year, I wish you a happy new year as well. I guess we can continue the happy new year. Anyway, we're continuing in the uh, community series, um, and uh, I want to, that's the thing this morning, when you think of the church, the church, we are a community of believers. And when you think of the church, what are some words that come to your mind? I guess that depends on what experiences you've had with the church. If uh, you grew up in the church and had good experiences as I did, you'd remember the family of believers, uh, all your friends, and maybe your teachers in the Sunday school or the Christmas and Easter services that you attended. Or, or maybe you'd remember, as I remember, the after-service meals we would have with all the good food. And I especially remember the pastor who believed in me and got the church behind me as I went into missions. I have a very positive view of the church when I was younger. But others I know didn't grow up in church or have had bad experiences uh, with the church and would view the church very differently. I once heard the story of a young boy living on the streets who went into a church service on a wintry Sunday morning wanting to get warm. He had never been in church and he thought many things he saw were strange and even funny. Uh, And then when he burst out laughing, thinking those who were wearing the choir robes were still in their sleeping clothes and their pajamas, he was sternly told by those sitting around him that laughing in church was not acceptable. And so leaving the church after his rebuke, he thought to himself that all the people were so well-dressed and well-mannered that the church must only be for middle-class people. Or another story I heard about a a missions team from a church was uh, in a neighborhood in the evening. They met a lady on the streets and uh, seeing her need for help, they suggested she seek out a nearby church. And she replied, oh, I could never go there for help. I feel terrible about myself and how I'm living. The people at that church would only make me feel worse. Sadly, it seems more and more people see the church like this. But according to the Bible, what are the marks or the characteristics of the church or of a community of believers? What are, how does God see us? and What are some ways God describes a community of believers in His Word? Well, I'd like to look at Psalms chapter 4 today to see three characteristics, I believe, of a Christ-like community. Uh, If you have your Bibles or want to look on with me, I will read it for us. Psalms chapter 4. Reading in the English Standard Version, the Bible says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. 
Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. As I said, I would like to look at three characteristics in these verses uh, that describe the church. The first characteristic is from verses 1 through 3. As a community of believers, we seek the Lord. We call out to the Lord. It says in verse 1, Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. We call out to God in our times of need, when we need relief from the issues of life. We call out to Him. Our hearts and the world around us would tell us to try in our own efforts first, and then if we can't find relief, and then when we can call out to God. But we can do it on our own. But God has invited us to call on Him first. And then, and only then, we would act. He reminds us of His provisions. In verse 2, You have given me relief when I was in distress. The psalmist is remembering. I'm calling out to you, God, because in the past you've given me relief. And I, I believe you will give me relief again. So He reminds us of His provisions in the past and His graciousness to us. He said, be gracious to me when, and hear my prayer. Lord, I know you're gracious. You've been gracious to me in the past and faithful, so I trust you. Psalm 46, chapter 1 tells, chapter 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He is always there for us. But our sinful hearts, sinful proud hearts, lead us to believe we don't need help. With enough effort, we believe we can solve our problems. But we, as believers, we know that our problems come from our sinful hearts and only God can heal our hearts and save us from sin. When we, but we ought to realize when we decide to call upon the Lord first, to look to Him rather than to ourselves to solve our problems, and we trust Him to deliver us, we open ourselves up to ridicule from others. Verse 2 it says, O oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? It's an honor to trust God, but not to the world around us. The world looks at our trust in God as a weakness or not one to face the issues. And the world believes we, we know how to solve our problems, and therefore we have no need of a God or of God in our lives. And if we listen to the world around us more than we listen to God, we can also believe, as it says here, their vain words and their lives. But Proverbs 14, 12 tells us, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. We can believe we have the, we can solve our own problems and don't need God, but it will not end well with us. Continuing on in verse three, it says, but no, even though the world may ridicule us, try to shame us. The Lord says in verse 3, the psalmist says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears what I call to him. I call to him because I know he hears me. I'm one of his godly ones as he set apart. God has set us apart from the world. 
We're not to follow the world's ways or words. If we do follow that way, we look and act like the world around us. And we lose our ability to really influence the world for Christ. Someone once said, the world doesn't need a religious version of itself. The world needs to see a transformed church set apart for God. And God sets us apart for Himself. Not because of anything we have done or will do. It's His choice. As we place our faith in Christ, He chose by His mercy to forgive us of our sins through Jesus' death and resurrection. And our setting apart is not anything related to our inherent goodness. It is because we put our faith in Jesus and then God works to set us apart for His glory. And because He has set us apart, we can know He hears us when we call to Him. As the psalmist says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself and the Lord hears me when I call to Him. I know He hears me because I'm one of His set apart ones. So this gives us confidence to call out to Him when we're in need. He hears us. We know He does. We're set apart. In Africa, when we live there, we, we become ill and we, we begin to make plans to go seek medical help. But our African brothers and sisters would always remind us of our dependence on God by insisting that before we go to the doctor, we pray. Telling us, they would say, they would, they would, they would tell us only God heals, not the doctors. They would remind us of that. Whereas in our culture, I grew up, we would go to the doctor and then we would pray. And they'd say, no, we pray first and then we go to the doctor. Trusting God to heal us through the means of the doctor if he chooses, but we trust God for our healing. And so I thank God for my experience with my African brothers and sisters to remind me that I need to call out to God first when I'm in need instead of later. I've also found that I'm tempted to believe many times that I know what God wants me to do. And so I'll go ahead and make my plans and then I'll ask Him to bless my plans. I've learned though that I need to seek God through before making plans. I seek God through, and I need to seek Him through different ways. I seek Him through His Word, prayer, and the counsel of others. When I'm trying to decide what God wants me to do, the plans He wants me to make, I ask Him through His Word. God, reveal in Your Word what You want me to do. Or a prayer, as I call out to God, reveal to me. Or maybe others have Your counsel and can give to me, other believers. When we fail to seek God before making plans, it's like a builder who was given plans to build the house. He looks over the plans once, and he proceeds to build the house without ever returning to look at the plans. And after the, building the house, the owner comes to see it, and he, he notices that there are many changes and may even many mistakes in the house because he didn't follow the plans. He only looked at them once and thought he knew it and went on his way, thinking he knew how to do it. But just as a builder would never build a house without constantly reviewing and studying the plans, neither should we try to live our lives without constantly seeking God through His Word, through prayer, and the counsel of other believers. God has given us that. 
So the first characteristic of a Christ-like community is we call out to God. We seek God first in our lives. The second characteristic is our responses are different to the things we face in life. Verses 4 and 5 tell us this. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Anger is a natural emotional response to things that upset us, that don't maybe go the way we think or plan or things we see that we know are not right. We become angry. We are often angered by injustices and wickedness we see around us. Someone has said our emotions are like the warning lights in our car. They tell us something is wrong and we best not ignore them. We're not told to not be angry. We are told, though, to not sin. Anger comes because of it's an emotional response. But it says, be angry and do not sin. A similar verse to this one is found in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin, the Bible says in Ephesians. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In our anger, we are more susceptible, if we act out of anger, to give an opportunity to the devil. He says, do not do that. Be angry. You will be angry, I know, but do not sin in your anger. The sin is not in being angry. It's how we respond when we are angry. When we are angry, we want to take action or to speak. We want to set things right. We want to make the right the injustices. If we act quickly in anger, we're often acting out of self-interest more than following God. Psalm 4 tells us to ponder in our hearts and be silent. We are to turn to God in our anger and seek Him before we act. Then we can avoid sinning in our anger. When we do this, we'll remember James 1, 19-20. The Bible says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I may think I'm doing right by acting in my anger, but it says, No, if you're acting out of anger, you will not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man, our anger, it stirs up within us. Our emotional response and anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. And in Romans 12, 17-21, we read, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thoughts to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The world says, I'm right to respond in anger, to get what is mine. God says, all, everything is his. And he will right all the wrongs as we trust and follow him. Instead of acting in anger, we are instructed in the next verse to
to offer right sacrifices and put our trust in the Lord. It says, be, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your bed and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. What are these right sacrifices? In Psalm 51, 17, it reads, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. When we are faced with our own sinfulness, maybe in times of anger, we realize our own shortcomings, our own failings, our sins, it breaks us. If we see our sins as God sees, if we really see our sins, it breaks, it breaks us that we respond in a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. And when we bring our brokenness to God, He accepts our brokenness as a pleasing sacrifice to Him. And when we clearly see our sin and brokenness, we see others as broken as well. And so often their acts against us, we can see it as they're acting out of brokenness, as we are all broken. So I am not right to judge or feel like I can get, I can take vengeance on them because we're all broken. And then we see we, we, can we can't trust in ourselves. And it will lead us to trust in God. This pleases God. So it says, offer right sacrifice. Come to Him with a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And put your trust in the Lord, not in yourself, in the Lord. This pleases God. As a Christ-like community, as I said, we call out to God. And we respond differently to the things that we face in life. And then thirdly, we know our joy and peace comes from the Lord. Not from the world around us, not from things we experience in life, but from the Lord. Continues on in verses uh, 6 through 8. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they, than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. You know, after a year like 2020, we're all asking, who will show us some good? And the psalmist says, lift up the light of your face upon us, God. What could we more be more better than the God lifting up the light of his face? Like God looking on us, God seeing our situation. The psalmist is saying when God looks on us, when his light of his face shines upon us, we experience his joy. And then we realize we don't need anything that the world considers good. So where does this joy come from? He says, that, he says in his that the people in the world get their joy from what they have, their resources, is their grain and their wine, when it abounds, when, they, when life is good from them, they have joy. We know that can change. That can change quickly, as 2020 showed us. You know, one day you may be good, the next day you may be very ill, or you may have a good job, you might lose it. So things that we look to in this life are, are not stable. But where does the joy of the Lord come from? You know, how is it different? Well, I think the joy of the Lord comes from, for me, from knowing and experiencing five truths about my relationship with the Lord. First, the first truth is, 
all of our sins are forgiven by God in Christ. He has forgiven us all of our sins. I don't have to face it. I don't have to pay for my sins. He's paid for them in Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 says, In whom Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Christ we have forgiveness of our sins. We don't have to face them. What joy that should give me. I, should, I don't have to fear uh, what will come later in life because my sins are forgiven. I'm acceptable to God. The second thing, the second truth that uh, we need to know and experience is that we are God's children. When He forgives us of our sins, then He welcomes us into His family. It says John verse, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But to all who re did receive Him, Christ, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. If I believe in Him and accept His forgiveness of my sins, He makes me His child. Amazing. I, I, I came from nothing. I, I had nothing to offer Him. And he, he took my brokenness, my sinfulness, and said, I'll take that and I'll make you my child. What joy that should bring to my heart that I'm His child. My sins are forgiven. I'm His child. The third truth is that God will never leave us. It's not like we're his child today and we do something and he casts us out and says, oh, you're, I didn't know you'd be this way and he casts us out. No, he will never leave us. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he, God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, you're in my family and you will, I will never leave you. Wow, a joy that can give me to know that nothing in this world can separate me from God. I am his child. And he will never leave me. The fourth thing that brings me joy is that to know that we, we have new life in God through Christ. He didn't just try to repair what we had. He gave me a new life. He gave me a new heart. He gave me a new purpose. He gave me a new meaning in life. He gave me life. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He didn't try to, you know, what I used to think when I come to Christ, I had love and I just added to my love. No, he, he replaced my love with his love. He replaced my heart with a new heart. It says he takes my heart of stone and gives me a heart of flesh. I am new. He created me new. With a new uh, family, with a new purpose, as I said, a new meaning in life. I am new. That gives me great joy. I don't live for what I used to live for. I live for different purpose and that gives me great joy and then the fifth thing is that we have eternal life in God through Christ this the life he's given us doesn't end because it's a relationship with him in 1 John 5 11 and 13 it says and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son whoever has the son has life whoever does not have the son of God does not have life I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants us to know we have eternal life. And what is this eternal life? It says in John 17, 1 to 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. We have eternal life. We live uh, forever with God because we know Jesus. We know God. This is the relationship we have. It can give me joy. My sins are forgiven. I'm his child. He will never leave me. I have new life in Christ, and I have eternal life with Him. I will be with Him throughout all eternity. So being sure of our relationship with God is the source of all our joy. and is of greater value than anything the world can offer us.
And also with this joy comes peace. It's not an outward peace that is determined by the circumstances of life. It's an inward peace that enables us to lie down and sleep, even when the circumstances of life seem out of control and we're tempted to be anxious and worry. He gives us his peace instead. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When I give you peace, you don't have to have troubled hearts or be afraid. My peace is different than the peace of the world because it can change. It can be taken away, but my peace that I give you will be with you forever. And then in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says, we read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will amaze those around us. How do you have peace in the midst of these circumstances in life? Because it's the peace of God that He gives me, that He is in control, and I can trust Him. My brother is a building contractor, and he told me about uh, remodeling the family's house once, where the family had to move out of their house during the remodel because it was too extensive uh, for them to live there during the process. <clears throat> but he said every day, the man, the owner of the home, would return and spend the afternoon with them while they were working. At first, my brother thought, maybe he's coming because he didn't trust us. And that bothered my brother. Maybe he didn't trust us to take care of his things, or maybe he thinks we would steal some things from him. But every day he came. My brother was concerned why, why he was coming every day. But then one day the man told my brother that he came every day because he wanted to be around, be around my brother's work crew who were all Christians because he had never, he said he had never experienced such peace when being around others. He said in the midst of all the noise of the construction, he, he experienced a peace that he didn't experience at his own workplace. That, my brothers and sisters, is the peace of God. So as a community of Christ followers, we, can, we are known as people who call out to God first in our life. A people who respond differently to situations in their lives and people who are joyful and peaceful because God gives us joy and peace in our lives. That's a community. That's the community this world needs. My prayer is that we at the Veal are this community as we minister in the communities God gives us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the community of believers here at the Veal. May we reflect Psalm 4, that we'll be a community of people that cry out to you when we face situations in their lives. May we be a community uh, that uh, responds differently to the situations we face in life. And may we be a community that rests in your joy and your peace, and others see it, that we have joy and peace that they do not have. And they'll be drawn to us. Father, use us for your glory. Make us a community that glorifies you. 
in all that we do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.